All right, good morning, church. Uh, hey, hope everybody's doing well. Enjoying our half summer anyways. It's good to see how many people are still positive. I always say, how's your summer going? A lot of people still say it's great. So that's good. Diana said that this morning. So it's good to be on the positive side of things. All right, uh, we do have uh, Shine Zone today. So grade two and under. Go with Kara. If there's any here, and lots of lots of babies here today. Yeah, <laughs> we got Kale there. Yep. Right. Let's pray together. Father, we, God, are thankful for your, your presence in our lives in, in this place today. Uh, God, we thank you that you are a close God, that you're a relational God, that you desire to speak. God, you uh, desire to help us listen. God, you desire to work in our hearts and to bring us closer to you. And so, God, we pray that uh, you would do so, and we invite your Holy Spirit, God, to draw us closer to you. God, we invite your Holy Spirit to do his work in us, um, God, as we open your word. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen, amen. We have been uh, working sort of off and on through a series, through the book of Ephesians, kind of going through uh, verse by verse, and today we're going to be talking about uh, anger. And before we do, there's a video clip, and you might have to turn up the volume there, Mike. Excuse me. I know you didn't think anyone would catch you, but you just slammed your door into my car. The least you can do is say you're sorry, lady. You don't have to take that tone. It's not like I'm hurting your resale value. I'm sorry. See? Like that.
<laughs> All right. All right, today we're going to talk about that. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 4. Just a little review of where we've been uh, over the last few weeks in Ephesians. Uh, God has been talking to us about this new life that he has given us. And uh, the reality we are to put off our old self and put on the new self and to, to have new thinking. He said this, you are taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your mind and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. That uh, when you give your life to Jesus, there is this transformation that happens in us, that the old is gone, the, the new has come. In fact, it's more than just thinking, and more is just the heart. There's actually this, this supernatural or spiritual connection to Christ on the cross. That when Jesus was crucified, something in us died. And as Jesus rose from the grave, something in us breathes new life. And this is some of the verses that we looked at. Galatians chapter 2, my old self has been crucified with Christ. It, no, uh, it, is no long, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. That this, this old self has been crucified, it is dead. Though as we talked about, sometimes the dead chicken does move around a little bit in our lives. Uh, Romans 6, uh, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. And this isn't just fanciful thinking. That we can actually live a new life. The old is gone, the new has come. In fact, again, there's a supernatural thing that takes place. As we talked about Paul talking about the surgery we went under through. Some of us have gone for knee surgery or various surgeries. But there is a spiritual surgery in Colossians. It says, Christ performed a spiritual circumcision, cutting away of your sinful nature. That our sinful nature is actually cut away that is no longer dominant in our lives. That through Jesus, we have power in our lives, along with this new heart, to say no to sin and make differences in our lives. As Philippians 2 says, For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases Him. That in Christ, we actually have the power to do what pleases God. And again, part of renewing our thinking is to actually believe that. Because a lot of times we end up in sin or in a cycle of sin when we believe we're powerless. But when you are in Christ, you are never, ever powerless. You always have the power to do what pleases Him. And sometimes in that moment, you've got to remind yourself, I have the power through Jesus to do what pleases God. We've been given a new self, and we're also to have this new thinking. Our thinking is to be radically different than our old self. And we talked about 2 Corinthians chapter 10, where we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. Thoughts like, I'm powerless. That's, that's not a Christian thought. We, make the, we take that captive and say, I can do everything through Christ, through Christ who strengthens me. Or uh, Christ has given me the power to do what pleases him. We take every thought in our mind that's not kingdom, that's not of Jesus, and we put it away. And we replace it with thoughts from the truth of God's word. And so this is the, the new way of living. And most of the rest of the book of Ephesians 
is going to get really practical. Because Paul's going to talk about, now that you have this new life, here's how I want you to live it out. And he's going to touch on things like lying and anger and sexual immorality. And he's going to touch on uh, all kinds of things like marriages and how does it affect your workplace and your job? How does it affect parenting and and kids? And we're going to talk through all those kind of things as we finish off this this book. But today we're going to talk about anger. But first, we're going to touch on lying. Ephesians 4. Therefore, because Christ is in you, because the old is gone, the new has come, because you actually have power over your thoughts... Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor. For we are all members of one body. That part of this new way of living is just to be honest, uh, to tell the truth. In other words, when someone comes along with a big fish story, the fish that I caught, because you you don't have to make your fish story bigger. Because your identity is not in what other people think anymore. Your identity is not trying to impress people. Your identity is in Christ. You're absolutely loved. You're absolutely accepted in Jesus. And so it's okay to say, that's great. That I've never caught a fish that big. Great for you. You're totally free in Jesus to say things like that. Sometimes we lie to protect ourselves. Because we made a mistake. We try to blame it on someone or say, oh, I didn't really do that. In Christ, we can actually say, yeah, it was my fault. Because we don't have to worry about being insecure because we're secure in Jesus. We know we're absolutely loved in Jesus. It all goes back to finding life in Jesus. When you find your life in Jesus, it's okay to rejoice in other people's successes. It is okay to say, you know what, I really believe it's totally my fault. You know, would you forgive me? We're actually free in Jesus to be able to speak the truth. And it says here that we're to speak the truth, for we are all members of one body. Uh, Because we're all part of the same family, we want to make sure we're speaking the truth to each other. Uh, If if we lie to each other, you're only hurting yourselves because, again, we're part of the same body. I mean, if I accidentally chopped off all my fingers and my hand lied to the rest of my body, saying everything's fine, just fine, you know, I would be hurting myself if my body lied to another part of my body. And this is what Paul's saying, that in the family of God, we need to make sure we're telling the truth to each other. Because if you lie, you're only hurting yourself. And a lot of times we lie in a way that we've had a really hard week or been really struggling with a sin, whatever it might be, and we come and someone says, how was your week? And we go, it was great. You're just hurting yourself. Because when you're honest, then you can receive ministry. And the reason God gives gifts of encouragement, the gifts of teaching, the gifts of miracles or healings or all those different gifts that are off is so that we might be fed, so the body of Christ might be built up. And if you come in here pretending like everything's fine, you you only leave hurt. You're still in your pain. You don't receive prayer. You don't receive the blessing you could from other people. And so it's important that we're on, and there's no shame here. I mean, all of us have our stuff. All of us are struggling with stuff. There's no shame in saying, you know, I'm really struggling with, with pornography. I'm really struggling with anger. I'm really struggling with, I need prayer. I need help. I need ministry. This is why we're here as the family of God. And so we, we need to learn to speak honest and, and truthful to each other. But remember what Paul said earlier. He said we're always to speak the truth in love. Because there are some people who are like, yeah, I speak the truth. I just tell it as it is. In other words, they're rude, Right? And they're mean. To speak the truth in love, as we t- you remember the truth burrito? This is how it has to, the truth always needs to be wrapped in love. 
Uh, it always needs to be wrapped in love because the Bible says to do everything in love. And so sometimes we have difficulties with each other and we need to say, you know, hey, that really bothered me. But we do that in a very loving way. And so it's important that we be people who walk in the truth. That we don't lie to protect ourselves. We don't lie to make ourselves look better because, man, we're secure in Jesus. It's okay to be honest in the situations. And then he says, talking about anger, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. Begins by saying, in your anger, do not sin. Meaning, it's possible to be angry without sinning. Because in your anger, don't sin. So it's possible to be angry without sin. And anger is actually one of emotions that God has given us. And a lot of times we as Christians, sometimes when we feel angry, we feel ashamed. We feel like, oh, it shouldn't be in my heart. And we just kind of try to push anger away. But anger can actually be a very good thing when it is godly anger. I mean, most of the time in the Bible, anger is a bad thing. We'll talk about that. But anger can be a very positive thing. And so when you're feeling anger, don't immediately, immediately try to push it away or dismiss it. Investigate it. It could be godly anger. And we, we see this over the Bible. I mean, the very definition of love is it's not easily angered. Sometimes the most loving thing to do is actually to be angry. I mean, when we hear about children being molested or pushed into prostitution, I mean, that should cause us to be angry. We shouldn't be, oh, I'm just a joyful, happy Christian. That's all nice, you know. <laughs> no, I mean, we should, that's, that's awful. I mean, it should create some anger in us. Even God, who is described as God is love, his very nature is love, that God cannot absolutely not be unloving. Sometimes God actually gets angry. Psalm 103 says, The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. And, and sometimes you see in the Bible that, that God actually gets angry. And most of the time it's when, it's when his people turn away from him. Because God knows that we receive the most life when we are focused on him. The best thing possible for our lives is to be surrendered completely to Jesus. And when he sees us wandering away, trying to find life in other places, that makes him angry. Just as if one of our kids said, you know, screw you, dad, I'm out of here. I mean, he loves us, and he always is wanting to, us to draw close to him. We see Jesus at one time uh, expresses a bit of anger. He says, Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. And John says he actually made a whip, and he, he chased out all the animals out of the temple. And then he, he says this, it is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer but you are making it a den of robbers. Jesus looked at the, the corruption that was going on in the temple. Corruption being that either these money changers and those selling animals were ex charging exorbitant rates, some people think. Some people th it was think because they, they took over the area uh, that was made for the non-Jews, the house of the nations to come and pray, and it was a crowd they couldn't get in. There's lots of reasons why people think he did that, but he was saying this is to be a place of prayer place where people are connecting with God, and because people are getting in the way, he senses anger, and, and he cleans out the temple. And there are times when God wants us to be angry, because anger actually often causes us to do something about an injustice. Uh, I love what Chip Dodd said. He says, the energy of compassion is rooted in anger. I mean, one of the reasons Dina Marlene Simonoff created Martial Arts for Justice 
is because they're angry about all the injustices going on in this world. If they didn't just go, oh, I'm just some happy Christian, it's all good, it's great. You know, maybe when Jesus dates, going to come back. It's like, no, this has got to change. Anger gives you the energy to make a difference, the energy to, to change the world, and so they created martial arts for justice. I mean, I'm sure Calvin and Nicole, there is some anger in their hearts over the youth back in Kenya and, and how they need to be mentored, and, and, and God has so much for them, and, and that anger pushes them to want to go back in January. I mean, we could go on and on to talk about how anger, if it's properly harnessed, leads us to powerful ministry. When you constantly ignore anger in your heart, it leads to complacency. You're like, oh, I'm just not going to, I'm not good enough, I can't do anything. Sometimes you've got to allow the injustices in this world to create an anger in your heart that pushes you to actually do something. Bill Hybels wrote a whole book about this. He called us the holy discontent, and he, he said this. What is the one aspect of this broken world that when you see it, touch it, get near it, you just can't stand? Very likely that firestorm of frustration reflects your holy discontent, a reality so troubling that you are thrust off the couch and into the game. I love that. That's what anger can do sometimes. It thrusts you off the couch of doing nothing for the kingdom and pushes you into a place where I'm going to do something to make a difference in this world. It is during these defining times when your eyes open to the needs surrounding you and your heart hungers to respond that you hear God say, I feel the same way about this problem. Now let's go solve it together. And often God will give us different angers. Uh, sometimes when people are like, you know, how, what, what should I do? What is my purpose in life? One of the questions I ask them is, what ticks you off? What really ticks you off about this world? And hopefully it's just not bad coffee at church or something. Hopefully it's something more deep than that. But, but for some people, I mean, I am really ticked off that this church isn't very welcoming. It's probably because God is calling you to do something about that. You know, I, for me, one thing that ticks me off is when I hear preachers that are just super dry and boring. It's like, no, the word of God should be more exciting than that. Not that I'm the most exciting preacher, but I think it should be exciting. I mean, I mean, all of you have things that tick you off. Don't ignore those. Don't cover those up saying, well, I shouldn't be feeling anger as a Christian because that's bad. It may not be bad. Maybe actually God's call upon your life, calling you into ministry. And so it's important that we listen to that godly anger inside of us. But most of the time, the Bible talks, when it talks about anger, it's talking about sinful anger. And, and this is the issue that Paul is addressing and we're going to talk about for the rest of our time. It says, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the uh, sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Say, if you want Satan to have a foothold in your life, I tell you, it's easy. Just get really mad at somebody. <laughs> just get really bitter. Uh, get really frustrated. We're just boiling over. I mean... Satan will begin to get a foothold in your life, and that's never a good thing because Satan can wreak havoc when he gets a foothold in our life. Later on, Ephesians says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all. It doesn't just say some, but get rid of all because we have this new life. The old is gone. We, we have the power to do what pleases him. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. 
Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. That this is to be our heart, is a heart of compassion, a heart of forgiveness. That this lavishes compassion and forgiveness even on those that are our enemies. Colossians 3.8 says, you must also rid yourself of all such things as these. Again, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Psalm 39, refrain, uh, refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Do not fret, it only leads uh, to evil. Jesus said, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you should not murder. Anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, raka, or whatever word comes out of your mouth at that moment, is answerable to the court. Anyone who says, you fool, be in danger of the fire of hell. I mean, it's so serious. Jesus takes this. And sometimes we, we take anger so lightly. Ah, just, it's because of that person. That's why I'm angry today. I deserve to be angry. Or what is this person? We so easily just brush that Jesus did not make this easy for us. This is a challenge. Even if you say rocket, which just in that day meant fool or worthless. Man, there are times I think worse things about people than that. I mean, so do you. Sometimes we have those bad words rolling around the back of our heads in those situations, right? I mean, Jesus says, that's dangerous. Uh, that you fool, you're in danger of the fire of hell if you don't make it right, if you don't deal with it, if you don't push that, and we're talking about how to do that in a moment. But this is a serious thing. And this isn't coming from my lips, this is coming from Jesus. Again, Jesus, he knows what's best for your marriage. He knows what's best for relationships. He, I mean, his whole... The whole mission of his, is to re his reconciliation is his whole mission. Anger does not reconcile. You're never going to get your wife closer through anger. You're never going to get your children closer through anger. You're never going to reconcile a relationship through anger. Anger divides. And a lot of times we think, if I just get angry enough, that person's going to come in line. They may come in line out of fear, but not out of love. And we want our relationships to be based on love. As Christians, the Bible says we should be very slow to anger. The Bible says a lot. And here's some of the, just very slow to anger. Which is interesting because, you know, if you go online and Google, you know, the Google search and you start typing stuff in and it kind of fills the rest out for you. There's a, some sort of algorithm or something based on the number of searches. You know, if you type in the word, why are Christians so, you know what the first thing comes up? Why are Christians so mean? It's the very first thing that comes up. So it's kind of, I mean, Jesus said, people will know that you are Christians by your love. <laughs> it should be, why are so Christians so loving? It just shows we've got our work to do in this. Proverbs 19. Good sense makes one slow to anger. And it is his glory to overlook an offense. Ecclesiastes 7. Do not let yourself be quickly provoked, for anger resides in the lap of fools. Proverbs 16. Better to be slow to anger than to be a mighty warrior. And one who controls his temper is better than one who captures, captures the city. I mean, sometimes we're impressed by these mighty warriors who can capture a city. We're like, wow, those are our heroes. The Bible says, hey, if someone can control their temper, someone can control their anger, now there's a hero. Because it's not easy sometimes. I mean, we're living in a world where people sometimes really can drive us and push us the wrong way. James said, everyone should be quick to listen. Slow to speak and slow to become angry. 
Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Again, it's never going to accomplish that what we think it's going to accomplish in the moment. It always will backfire in the end, even though we just think in that moment that it's going to accomplish something good. There's a couple kinds of sinful anger. One is, is explosive anger. Proverbs 29. A fools vent their anger, but the wise hold it back. And explosive anger, of course, would be a picture of what we saw in the video. I mean, it's just a little incident, and all of a sudden it just explodes into something huge and out of control. And uh, if you know anything about the brain, I mean, scientists talk about the reason why. is because we have something called the amygdala in our brain, which can be a good thing, and it can be a really bad thing. And what it does is when we're in moments of danger, emotional or physically, it, it'll dump all these chemicals into our body, and it actually take over our thinking part of the brain. And this is why a lot of people in moments of anger will say at the end, man, I didn't know what I was doing. Or I really wish I didn't do that in the end because your chemicals actually override the thinking part of your brain. And this is why a little thing like a car dent can end into an all-out brawl. Or a little thing, you know, like a bar fight. You know, someone says a little comment and all of a sudden the words are flying and they're starting punching each other because these chemicals just take over and it can happen to anyone. Again, this is a good thing. I mean, if you're in danger of a bear, or I guess you're not supposed to run, so maybe not, or I, I don't know, whatever. Certain th it's a good thing that you, you just, you're just flight or flight mode, but your body can't actually differentiate between like physical danger and emotional danger. And often, if you're in emotional danger, your body will dump these chemicals and the thinking part of your brain will shut down and it'll just cause you to explode in anger. And that's why some people, uh, just, they, just, they can just flip like a switch. They're totally fine, and all of a sudden, these chemicals are dumped, and they just, they just explode. And if we're not careful with our amygdalas, and we're talking about how we can control that in a moment, you will just blow up. And, and anger, I mean, you can take it back, try to take it back through forgiveness, but it, it always hurts. I mean, you can ask anybody around. I have a worse memory for a lot of things, like things growing up I just don't remember but you know I remember pretty much every fight where my parents were really angry at each other and I got a bad memory for like long term but I remember those things I mean they can say I'm sorry I forget I didn't mean it but it wounds it hurts it can deep deep scarring from explosive anger but there's another kind of anger that uh, is equally as bad and I, I call this Canadian anger this is this passive aggressive I mean, everybody talks about how Canadians are so nice, but really, we're just really good at doing passive-aggressive. In fact, when visitors come from Nelson, in fact, when Arden and Gus, he was a pastor for Nelson for a while, he said, I've never been to a place where there's so many passive-aggressive people. And it's true, we have a lot of, I mean, because we talk about valley love, and we just have peace, and, but we're super passive-aggressive, and it's equally as damaging. In fact, sometimes it's worse because it can be dragged on for a long time and no one really knows how to fix it because no one wants to fix it. There's this, and passive aggressive really is, it's kind of just childish. It's, it's not being willing to actually say, you know, we need to talk about this. And uh, it can be expressed in a lot of ways. Uh, it will obviously, uh, uh, a lot of times deliberately, people deliberately forget to do things if they're angry. You know, you give them the grocery list, oh, I forgot to buy your ice cream. They didn't forget. It was purpose. It was a passive-aggressive jab. Oh, I forgot it was your anniversary or your birthday. You know, oh, I forgot about mowing the lawn. No, you didn't. Passive-aggressive. They, they will just pretend to forget things, but everybody knows they really didn't. I mean, a lot of times passive-aggressives try to hide, 
but you can't hide. I mean, when a boiler is shaking with pressure, it comes out. And uh, sometimes passive-aggressives are really inefficient and late on purpose. Like when you give your kids jobs and they're angry, really inefficient. It takes them all day, right? Uh, my kids are like, they're really good. But, uh, but this can happen in marriages. Uh, when somebody just asks the spouse to do something, they're just really inefficient. Or they're late on purpose. There's an important meeting someone wants to be at, and the other person's like, oh, I got all the stuff to do, and I'm kind of behind. I still got to have a shower. It's passive-aggressive. Because they're unhappy with where they have to go, unhappy with what they have to do, they passive-aggressively are late on purpose. Or they withhold intimacy and praise. Sleep way on the other side of the bed. They won't say, you know, I'm upset. Can we talk about this? They'll sleep on the other side of the bed. Doesn't matter how amazing someone does something, they're not going to say, good job. They'll probably make some cutting, sarcastic mark, actually. Like, actually, I can do that better or something like that. Uh, engage in backstabbing behavior. And, and I've done all these things, and probably you have too. We're good Canadians, right? Uh, engage in backstabbing behavior. This is where you actually never talk to the person about your issue, but you certainly talk to everybody else. You know what so-and-so did, and they're just... Na, 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 na. But when you see the person, you're all like... This is the hide their bitterness with a smile approach. I'll walk on the other side of the street. I'll sit on the other side of the church. I see them walk in. I'll smile at them, but I'm not going to talk at them. And, and it's just all this hidden anger that they're actually not willing to deal with. It's passive-aggressive. Uh, pursue sneaky revenge tactics. Again, they don't have a, an adult conversation, but they'll send anonymous emails. They will, uh, again, write like nasty letters or whatever, but never put their name on it because they actually don't want to confront the person because that's too scary. But they'll do it in undermining approaches. Give the silent treatment. Uh, often there'll be slight hurtful remarks and cutting sarcasm. I mean, where one spouse is unhappy with the other, there's this cutting sarcasm. Or one group of Christians is unhappy with another, there's cutting sarcasm. This is all passive aggressive. This, this is anger. The same kind of stuff that Jesus says, you need to get rid of all this. Explosive anger, passive aggressive anger. We need to learn to get rid of that. Uh, we did a whole sermon series on dealing with difficult people. And often, maybe that one message we did, having the conversation can be really helpful to people who are stuck in the passive aggressive trap. Because a lot of times, they just don't know how to have a conversation. They're scared, they're intimidated, and they think they're powerless, and so they resort to these, resort to these messages, but through Christ, I mean, you can have incredibly mature conversations. All right, dealing with anger. Paul said, in your anger do not sin, do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. In other words, deal with anger immediately. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. Now, you may not be able to fix your situation, because sometimes situations with people can take a while, but you can fix your heart. You may not be able to fix the situation, but you can fix your heart. You can deal with the anger in your heart within that 24-hour window. This is what it's saying. You've got to deal with this quickly, because if it doesn't, it'll just fester. If it doesn't, you'll tend to gossip. If it doesn't, you'll resort to passive-aggressive or explosive anger. You need to deal with your heart. Again, sometimes we say, I just can't. It's too big. This is where you need to take every thought captive and make it obedient to Jesus because you have a new heart and a new life and you have the power to do what pleases him. And so we need to get our hearts right before Jesus. Part of this is owning your anger and not blaming it on others. To actually own your anger. 
And again, a helpful place to start is to actually just admit that you're angry. Because sometimes as Christians, we'll click, 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 stuff it down, and we stuff all these emotions down, and we think it's gone, but it leaks, burp, 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 leaks out in these little passive-aggressive ways, or one day, if it pushes hard enough, it explodes. Part of it is just expressing to God, I am really ticked at so-and-so. In fact, one of the reasons for the Psalms is to teach us how to be honest with our emotions. There are things in the Psalms where David is expressing his emotions and he's, he's like these prayers that are really unchristian in the sense that, you know, he's not asking, asking God for them to have. I mean, for instance, here, Psalm 69. Here is David expressing his anger. He's just owning it. This is how I feel, God. May their eyes be darkened so they cannot see and their backs be bent forever. Pour out your wrath on them. Let your fierce anger overtake them. May their place be deserted. Let there uh, be no one to dwell in their tents. For they persecute those you wound. Talk about the pain uh, of those you hurt. Charge them with crime upon crime. Do not let them share in your salvation. May they be blotted out of the book of life and not be listed with the righteous. I mean, very Christian prayer to say, Jesus, don't save that person ever. You know, blot them out of the book. I mean, he's expressing his anger. And it's okay to do this uh, to God and say, God, this is just how I feel. Because, you know, God already knows. It's not going to be like, oh, I can't believe you're thinking that. I mean, he knows. <laughs> and, and in order for you to deal with anger, you first got to know what you're angry about, and you got to understand your emotions. A lot of times we just suppress emotions. Emotions are very healthy, and anger can be very healthy. But, and if you're simply anger, pray a prayer like that. God, I'm just really ticked at this person. This is how I feel, and I just want to rip their head off, and I have all these words flying in my head, and just, just own it. And don't blame it on other people. If you blame your anger on someone else, you will never, ever deal with your anger. I mean, some people are like, oh, well, the reason I'm angry is because of the traffic, because of that person, because my wife is always bothering my husband or my kids or my pastor or whatever, always blaming it on everybody else instead of actually owning it. You can take two people and put them in the same situation, and one can walk away with peace and joy, and the other can walk away with anger, and that angry person will blame it on what happened. If I can love what our, uh, actually, you got to finish the prayer. Because he didn't, he didn't end this way, and neither of you. I mean, we don't just end. I mean, notice what he says next, next verse. But, this is how I'm feeling. But, as for me, afflicted and in pain, may your salvation, God, protect me. I will praise God's name in song and glorify him with thanksgiving. I mean, he owned it, expressed his anger, but then he turned his heart to God. Part of owning your anger is one of the first steps to healing. In fact, our own uh, Abby Napora in her book said this, the greatest value in gaining freedom from certain behaviors is acknowledging its existence in your life. Situations and circumstances do not cause you to be angry, jealous, lazy, rude, impatient, or aggressive. They typically reveal who you are in those circumstances. Failure to acknowledge these traits and their existence in your life will allow them to continue to have influence and control over you. Many people are owned by anger, fear, pride, insecurity, jealousy, and inferiority because they refuse to own or acknowledge that these existed in them long before they were ever triggered and exposed by external circumstances. What triggers you is in you. This is, goes back to the idea of confessing our sin and repenting and not hiding who we are before others and before God. 
and just saying, God, this is how I'm feeling, and I know what's wrong, and I totally own it as my own, completely, completely own it as my own. If you cannot get there, you'll never get over your anger. You'll never make progress. It begins with confession and repentance and just being honest and bare before God. It always begins there. And so own your anger and do not blame it on others. And then you want to diagnose your anger a little bit. Ask yourself, why are you angry? And then you want to find your life in Jesus. Because the majority of the times we get angry over things we're trying to get life from. We get angry over those things that are idols in our lives. And someone begins to mess with one of our idols. That's when we get angry. And you find yourself maybe in a conversation with somebody and, and you're arguing back and forth and all of a sudden you just feel your amygdala begin to dump chemicals and you're getting frustrated, you get sweaty and you're just ready to jump on them. It may be that because you're trying to get your life from being right. You always get your life. I gotta be right. I gotta win every argument. And so that's being threatened and all of a sudden your amygdala gets out of control and you begin to dump because you're not getting your life from Jesus. You're getting it from trying to be right. Maybe in a, in, in a relationship, a marriage, a family, us, someone says it's something embarrassing about you. And you get angry. Ask, ask why. Why are you angry? Because they said something embarrassing. Don't stop there. You just got to keep digging until you get to the bottom. Why did that embarrass you? Uh, because I was really disrespectful. Well, why did that make you angry? It's because I, you know, it made me look foolish in front of all these people. Well, why did that make you angry? Because I want to look good in front of people. Because really, I actually get some of my life on how others think of me. And then you stop. Is that really where you get your life? Jesus loves you. You're absolutely secure in Jesus. We're to get our life from Jesus, not from what other people think, and then we turn and get our life from Jesus. You might be embarrassed, and, and why did that embarrass you, you know? Oh, because I felt really unloved. Well, why did that make you angry? Because I really want to be loved. And again, you get your life from Jesus. You are loved. Not everybody's going to love you. If you try to get your life from having everybody love you, you're going to be in this endless misery. You just got to realize that I am completely, absolutely loved by Jesus. That's where I get my life from, and I move out in that. In fact, if you get your life from realizing Jesus loves you, you'll just automatically become a lo more loving person. You'll become more unloving if you're trying to get your, your life from having people love you or respect you or honor you or, or whatever it might be. So you got to always ask, why, why are you angry? Because I guarantee at the root, there's something you're trying to get life from. When you tell someone to do something, they don't do it. I'm angry because I told them to do something. Well, why are you angry? Well, because I told them to do something, they didn't do it. Well, why did that make you angry? Because they're not listening, they're not respecting me, or I don't feel in control. And, and maybe you try to get your life from trying to be in control. I got to control every single situation. And news for you, you're not going to be able to control every situation. But I know a guy who's in control. And you can get your life from him. And just rest in that. And so always dig down deep into your anger. Why am I angry? And if it's like, that's ah, not really conclusive. Just keep digging until you get to the bottom. And then you just be honest. And God, I just come before you and I confess that I just get life from what other people think of me. And God, I confess it as sin and help me to get my life from you. And you got to do that a lot. Because, I mean, I don't know how many times, I mean, I still struggle with, trying to win the approval of people. I mean, these aren't things you get over with in an instant, but you learn how to fight them. As soon as it pops in your head, you quickly go, nope, I'm trying to get my life from somewhere else. i got to get from Jesus. You just train your brain to take every thought captive and to just quickly move in to repentance. So ask yourself, why are you angry? Then find life in Jesus. You don't want to feed your anger. Again, 
when your amygdala starts reacting, uh, you got to quickly shut it down and get your thinking brain back in action. But do you know that when your amygdala is excited because of a, a frustrating situation and you go and gossip about that situation to someone else, that your amygdala has the same reaction? And they go talk to someone else and it gets reacted again. And you're just, mo- and so every time you see that person, your brain just freaks out because you've, you've trained your amygdala to freak out whenever you see that person. Don't feed your anger. Uh, when you feel that anger, just replace it with something else. And I think, I think that's my next point, to redirect your anger. To redirect, when you feel it, redirect it. And one of the best ways to do is what Jesus told us. You pray blessing over that person. Matthew 5, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbors and hate your enemy. We know how to do that. Explosive anger, passive-aggressive anger, I'm going to get you back, outwardly, inwardly, however it's going to, we know how to do this. But that's not what Jesus taught. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. You want to be one of God's kids? Pray for those who persecute you. Pray for your enemies. And, uh, and, you do, and again, whenever you have an angry thought, you just quickly say, God, I just pray you bless that person. I pray you pour out grace. In fact, there's a few people in my life that get almost as much prayer as my family. <laughs> they get tons of prayer of blessing and grace. And I'm calling to say, God, would you just pour out blessing? Would you just pour out your goodness in their life? God, I pray you just blow them away with your power and your mercy. And I just pray blessing over them. And it's amazing how your, your amygdala just goes... Just redirect as quick as you can. You're just like, God, I pray blessing over that person. I pray, God, you just move in their life. I pray you bless their family. I tell you, it, it changes you. And all of a sudden, you begin to think better about that person. You don't, like, scour whenever you see that person. You say, yeah, I hope God is blessing you. You can pray for the person. You can also do something kingdom. Instead of getting angry, do something kingdom. Romans 12, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Someone dents your door, you don't do it back. You stop right there. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, get really angry at him. No, you feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. You do something kingdom for them. So I, I know some people who even do this anonymously, just to make it even more like kingdom. Like when someone just ticks them off, they send them an anonymous gift. Do something kingdom. Or at least take your anger and redirect it towards something positive. I mean, in a marriage, you have people who spend so much energy yelling and fighting towards one another. What if they just took that anger and redirected it towards, you know, I hate the way our marriage is. We need to get counseling. To take that anger and to push that anger to a place where actually do something to fix the issue rather than just staying in the issue. So do something kingdom. Redirect your anger. Again, don't let the sun go down whilst you're still angry. That's the deadline. But if you can beat that deadline... And in 30 seconds or a minute, five minutes, pray blessing and just grace over them and calm your amygdala down. I tell you, you're you're really ahead of the game. And lastly, number five, control your thoughts and actions. We talked about this a few weeks ago, but I'll mention it again. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. The pattern of this world is 
explosive anger. It's passive-aggressive anger. When you hurt me, I'm going to hurt you back. When you get mad at me, I'm going to get mad at you back. When you get mad at me, if I'm just a little more scared, I'll do it passive-aggressively back. But that's not what we're to do. How are we transformed? It says, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We are transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit, by the new heart in us, uh, by the, the power of God at work in us. But renewing our mind, that's our job. God doesn't automatically fix our mind. This is why I say we are to remove our, our mind. Second Corinthians 10 says, take captive every thought to make it obedient. This is not something God does. This is something you have to do. That we have to take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. And so in that situation, someone does something really awful to you, says something, ticks you off, your amygdala begins to dump these chemicals. You need to immediately just say, You've got you to get your thinking mind back into control. You've got to take captive every thought. And one way is you can just you can say, just stop, Jesse. You feel you're just kidding. Stop, Jesse. You can pray blessing over that person. You can say, what is the right response in Jesus' name? And you just don't dwell on those things that aren't of Jesus. You can say to that person, what you said just really hurt me uh, right now. You can say that instead of just exploding. But you want to take captive every single thought and make it obedient to Christ. We, we cannot allow thoughts to roam around our head that aren't of Jesus. And sometimes we just make excuses. Well, everybody has these kind of thoughts and everybody just doesn't know. Well, just, just, just start saying, you know, I'm not going to make exceptions for thoughts that are not of Christ. And as soon as you can, you just put them away and you pursue Jesus and you try to have a mature conversation with, with, with that person. I mean, other thing, I mean, if you have like constant anger, it's been an issue for a long, long time. Sometimes you need, uh, you'll, you need some dedicated prayer. And uh, we do have a prayer ministry here, and they will pray for you. And uh, in fact, you can make an appointment with our, tr uh, our Trade Winds prayer ministry, and they will pray over you for half an hour, 45 minutes. And we've had some amazing, life changing things already happen through prayer and people who've been trapped in things. And you may just say, you know, I really just need prayer over this. Again, there's no shame here. I mean, I got issues, you got issues, and no shame in saying, you know, I'm really struggling with this. Would you pray for me? I mean, again, you're only hurting yourself if you hide your stuff. You're only hurting yourself if everything's okay. This is why Jesus put it in the body of Christ. This is why Jesus gives us all different gifts. Is because most of the time, Jesus will answer your prayer through another person. Or sometimes God just steps in and goes, that's something amazing. But most of the time, when you have financial needs, he meets it through someone else. When you need to be encouraged, he meets it through someone else. When you're struggling with sin, hey, we got a family. Let's pray. Father, we, uh, we thank you, God, for the new life and the new power that you give us. We thank you for the new heart. And God, we thank you that you have given us power to do what pleases you. And God, we pray that you would make that power more and more a reality in our lives. God, especially in those areas that we're, we're struggling. And we're having a hard time living out that power. We're having a hard time living in that victory. God, I just pray victory over us. And specifically today, God, we pray for the issue of anger. Um, that if there's anyone here who is really struggling, just in this moment of quiet, just confess your sin and ask for his forgiveness.
Father, I thank you that you promise that when we confess our sins, that the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all unrighteousness. And Jesus, I pray you would help us to walk in that forgiven state. You'd help us to walk in the newness of your power. God, we pray victory over anger over every single person in this church. God, I pray we'd be people who are known to be slow to anger, that we'd be known, as Jesus said, that we'd be known for our love. And so, God, we pray for your power. We pray for your grace in our midst. And God, as we come to this communion table, as we finish with worship, God, I pray you would continue to do a new work in us. God, you are so big. You are so unfathomable. We can never top the end of your love, the end of your grace, the end of, God, what you have for us. So, God, keep us hungry for you. May this taste of this little piece of bread and this little uh, drink, God, would it just cause us to be more and more hungry for you. And God, would that hunger transform us in amazing ways. In Jesus' name, amen.